At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. I'm Jaina Kim, Longitude Fellow from the University of Ottawa. Today's episode features highlights from a conversation I shared with Carrie Benja, the U.S. Markets and Regional Communications Leader for IBM Americas. Carrie is also a shipmate of the Mayflower Autonomous Ships IBM Marketing and Communications Crew, also known as the Mayflower, which we explored for our Imagination series to learn about the roles of individuals and their experiences that brought it to fruition. As a law student, I was especially interested to hear about the communications-related logistics and teamwork behind launching a project as innovative and unpredictable as the Mayflower. But first, we started our conversation with how Carrie discovered her interest in English and journalism. like telling stories growing up and writing and, and couldn't get enough of reading and writing, reading and writing. And um, mm-hmm. I got interested in journalism as a career or as a career option uh, back in high school, really. Uh, I thought, wow, that would be a lot of fun writing stories, going around the world. Um, um, so I went to Carleton for journalism, did a double major journalism in English. And when I came out, I ended up getting a job in public relations and communications uh, with Corel Corporation. The PR managers who worked at Corel at that time, no one wanted to write press releases. I ended up writing all the press releases for a year for everybody in the department. And I really got to know the company and, and work with the executives and, and the communications team. And it was, it was fun. And that sort of started my corporate comms career. Yeah, I see just doing a quick Google search of your name, uh, you're always affiliated with if IBM needs a spokesperson, I find that you're always on the press release or um, there's always something that you say. And it's always so incredibly worded. And I I wonder if in part it comes from your journalism degree. I think the journalism degree has really helped in communications. Um, Carleton especially, I mean, fantastic journalism program. And and they taught us, uh, they give us the skills, I think, initially to synthesize content and, and, and get the content prepared in a way that you know, a publication would want to see it. And that has helped on the reverse side, being in communications, uh, mm-hmm. understanding what journalists are, are looking for and their needs and, and trying to kind of meet in the middle with the corporate statements we do provide or the corporate materials we do provide. Because at the end, they're trying to do a job and create a story. And mm-hmm. I maybe have an old fashioned view of communications, but part of my view about communications is it's our job to help them shape that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you mind telling us a bit um, about your role as a UX journal communication? Like what, what are some of the responsibilities and what do you do really on a day-to-day basis? Some of the responsibilities on a day-to-day would include a lot of reading and observing uh, what's going on in the market, seeing, you know, is, you know, if, if something is becoming an issue in one area or another, uh, whether we want to pitch something in there, whether we don't. Uh, reaching out to journalists, having coffee chats with journalists, working with my team, just putting plans in place, kind of looking ahead the next couple of months, what campaign work we've got. IBM Communications focuses on five different communications campaigns. All of our activity falls under AI, hybrid cloud, business growth, good tech, which would include our skills development and education initiatives, and then 
quantum in innovation. So I take a look at the materials that come from the corporate teams and then see what would apply into our area of the market, which is U.S. markets and regional communications. So we take a slice of the U.S. that uh, mm-hmm. where our top clients are headquartered and where the largest number of our employees live and work as well. And, and we focus on those areas. So we pitch journalists, we write op-eds, um, the whole gamut of external communication. <laughs> How do you approach challenges or um, any conflicts that arise within your team? Because I can't imagine it's easy leading a big group of people. It isn't. Um, you know, everybody thinks they want to become a manager. Uh, and, and then they realize once they become a manager that it actually is it's tough. It, and it requires work and it requires an investment in people. Mm-hmm. right? And it, it requires someone to actually care about the people you work with and and want to help them grow and achieve success in their careers as well. I became a manager at a very early age back in my career. I think I was 26 when I managed my first team and I was younger than everybody on the team that I managed. And that was, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're 26, that's if I felt awkward, there was a little bit of imposter syndrome there. You know, how could Mm -hmm. I at 26 manage, manage people who are older than me and, I think just by being myself and being authentic and, and really genuinely interested in the people that I work with have has helped yeah. along the way. In terms of challenges, I, I'm a fairly laid back person. So I really focus with my team on empowerment because that's how I like to work, making sure they're empowered, they have what they need to do their jobs and, and they can easily do their jobs and having a fun environment too from a team perspective. That said, there's always challenges, right? Whether that's on the personnel side or whether that's on the business side. And I learned a long time ago not to make too much of a fuss about challenges. You just have to kind of step back, put yourself in someone else's shoes, be willing to learn and to listen and and to find a a common solution to the challenge. Um, And sometimes most challenges become opportunities along the way. You can usually twist them and, and, and lead to a positive outcome. Um, so you're also part of the Primare Mayflower Autonomous Ship Project. So there would be no ship without the technical crew of scientists, engineers, programmers. But without marketing communications, the world certainly wouldn't know about the Mayflower as well we do. Um, especially, I think, the, the uncharted episodes. They were, they were so cinematic. It was like watching a mini Netflix episode, um, but also so informative and learning not only about um, the technology, but but the struggles and, and the success. Would you mind telling us uh, sort of how you got involved with the Mayflower Project and maybe what your role is? Sure. This is interesting because about two years ago, and, and this ties into my regional role, part of what I do on the regional side is I look into the regions, um, places like Atlanta or Austin or Raleigh and, and look for local stories or local things that we can tie into. So I was doing that and I was looking at some content that our systems university had put in place in Atlanta. So I was going through the agenda of the systems university and there was this session on Mayflower autonomous ship. And I stopped and I thought, well, that's neat. So I, I went into the session and <laughs> pulled it out. And at the time, IBM had just started getting involved with the group from, from a very um, focused area of our business. Our, our systems team uh, and the hardware team was involved. So I looked at that. I started talking with the project lead who was in France. And we got to talking. We got connected to the Promari team and built out 
kind of an, a little narrative or overview for our corporate team at our content and corporate storytelling team, because I thought this story had a lot of potential. And the corporate team picked it up. And in the UK team, we had a, a chief storyteller, Jonathan Batty, over with the UK team. He picked up the project and started to frame it out as, as we went along. So it is truly, the, the Mayflower Project represents, I would say, the, the best of IBM. Because along the way, it has grown from what was maybe perceived as a system story. Now it's an AI story. It's a weather company story. It's an edge computing story. And, and it showcases the best of our technology, but not just the best of the technology, the best of our people. Because mm -hmm. what started as something that, that might've been maybe just UK, US, actually has um, people working on it from Poland, from Canada, from all around the world, this, this group of people have come together with who are like-minded and passionate about, about the project and, and have built it that way. Did you have any interest or prior knowledge about ocean research or were you just like, I see potential and it was just the right time at the right place? Right time at the right place. I saw the potential for the story to be more than it was and to tell the story early. At, at first, when I first brought it up, we were met with a bit of resistance, I have to say, because people said, well, let's just wait till the ship makes its voyage and then and then we'll talk about it when it's successful. But yeah. luckily, my colleague, Jonathan, was very like-minded and saw the potential and, and started to build a story from what this could be, the steps along the way and, and whatnot. So uh, we both had, had the same thinking that this could be much more than just, a, oh, yes, we made the voyage story and, and uh, added in the research projects and all of the different connections. I mean, the research team has just been fantastic. So I, I think there's great potential to do some real good for the world through the research that's going to come out of the ship. So Absolutely. it's very exciting. So I'm currently a, a first year law student at the University of Ottawa, and I come from a music background. So um, I, I'm not really knowledgeable in the law yet, but it is my aim to learn and uh, a passion of mine is environmental law. And so I, the Mayflower project really resonates with me in terms of what it can do. So it really sounds like you kind of took a chance. You heard about the Mayflower, you saw its potential. And if you were met with resistance, you know, you still believed in that potential. And I think that's really remarkable to hear because a lot of people, including myself nowadays, are very risk averse. And, you know, if we don't see um, something definitive, we tend to hesitate away from it. So is that something you draw from your past personal experience? Is this some philosophy you have for yourself? One of our executives said along the way, and, and I, I believe this, is you learn from failure, right? Some of the best learnings along the way come from failure. And if, if I think back about my life, some of my best life learning has come from where I failed and, and then gotten up. And that's how you build resilience, right? You get back on your feet and you, you learn and you adjust and you keep moving forward. And this project was kind of like that as well, right? It was worth taking the risk. And there's an attitude at IBM with the people who got involved in the project that the risk was worthwhile, that we could always, we could always overcome the risk by learning from a failure or a setback each step of the way. So that kind of spirit of innovation, I, I think really helped move the project along. I love that you mentioned innovation because 
I know you were the two-time recipient of the IBM Marketing and Communications Forward Thinker Award. So I think it's safe to assume you know a little something about innovative thinking and good leadership practices. What is your approach to effective management? I know we talked briefly about let things become learning opportunities, but um, do you have any leadership philosophies that you truly believe in uh, that you'd like to share with up-and-coming professionals? I've been working really hard I think on, on the management side to become a more inclusive leader, I think along the way, I, I recognize myself uh, in my early years of management. Um, I had this idea about management that I, it was hard for me to trust people. So I would, I would just do it myself and, and, mm-hmm. and take on more work and take on more. Work. And then as you, as you grow and progress, you learn, you have to be able to trust your team and empower them. And, and part of that empowering comes from delegating and giving them things so they can feel like they're everyone's contributing to the whole. So that's kind of grown, I think, from you know, back in the very early days of, of management. And you learn along the way that success doesn't come from individuals. It does come from teams. I played, um, I played sports, a lot of team sports in high school and then beyond high school. I have a set of girlfriends that we still get together now who I played volleyball with for 20 years from all being sort of that connected tissue on, on a team sport team, you, you can kind of take that same philosophy into the business world. And, and that mm-hmm. is what makes a successful team is everybody's doing their part and you pull on everybody's strengths and everybody has different strengths, right. That can contribute to that equation and then, and then progress together. And if you can get that right on a team, then you can do wonderful things. Great storytelling is very crucial, obviously, to catching the attention of readers, especially nowadays when everything is so readily available online. I guess in terms of creativity, do you believe it's innate or it can be learned? And my second follow-up question to that is, how important do you think creativity is for the modern professional and students of today? I think creativity is critically important and we need to actually build in our schedules because everybody's busy and things are coming at you 24 by seven which doesn't leave a lot of time just to, to step back and take the thinking time that's required to be creative. So you've got to give yourself that, right? And if you can't give yourself that, then build it into your schedule. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of what they call deep thinking and deep work without distraction <laughs> so that each day you carve out a portion of your schedule where you can actually get into something without having text messages and social media or emails and, and put that all aside and actually go deep on a project or an initiative. I think you get better work that way. And, mm-hmm. and the same with creativity. You've got to just allow yourself the space and the time to let your mind go and and, and bring new thoughts and meet with different people and, and bring in different ideas to projects as well. Do you do any specific exercises that kind of help nurture that creativity? I know you mentioned meeting new people. Um, meeting new people is a big part of it. Learning from people with different points of views is, is mm-hmm. huge, right? Because, you know, I've got my set of experiences, but if you can bring three or four other people together with a whole different set of experiences, it's, it's even better, right? You get to a better outcome. I like doing um, design thinking and going through the design thinking process and, and mm-hmm. using that as, as kind of a backstop for a new project initiation or, or whatnot. Uh, I use sometimes tools like Mural where you can do a whole bunch of sticky notes and just do mind mapping and, and kind of think visually how, how things could come together. But usually the, the best creativity is when you can get a, a larger number of people contributing and, uh, 
and, and getting those thoughts together. And it's important too to realize that I, I'm an introvert at, at heart, right? So I'm not the best in brainstorming sessions. Everyone immediately goes to brainstorming. I think when you think, oh, let's creatively brainstorm on something and that doesn't always work for me. And, and mm-hmm. as a manager, I have to be conscious too that the people on my team, maybe introverts, their best ideas may not come out in a brainstorming session like that. So we have to give everybody opportunity to, to contribute in whatever way they're most comfortable with. And sometimes mm-hmm. that means allowing for more time so that those ideas can surface and people can bring them forward. So that's very surprising that you identify as an introvert at heart because, well, one, I I would not be able to tell, but two, I feel like even my own personal experiences with the best managers were the ones that self-identified as introverts. And so were there anything that you worked on conscientiously um, to maybe break out of that shy shell and um, be able to partake and speak up? For me, I have to schedule time to give myself uh, breaks and thinking breaks, if you will. I have some days where I have back-to-back meetings, 14 meetings a day. I can't have too many days like that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine. Consciously, I have to fix my schedule to um, address that and to to make sure I always have enough energy to bring. Early on in my career, um, I used to get the constructive feedback that I was too quiet um, mm. because my voice is rather quiet and I, I'm, I won't be the most aggressive person at the table and in any room. I much prefer that the kind of the, um, smaller conversations, smaller group uh, interactions. So I have had to work on that, right. And, and come to the table and, and make sure I actively participate and let my mm-hmm. voice be heard. Um, so that's something I've worked on throughout just to, you know, say something when you've got something to say and don't yeah. sit back. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to share with us or anything that you deem um, would be helpful, I guess? Well, I, I think from my perspective, I mean, the, the key to success for me has always been being collaborative, being curious uh, and, and l- loving learning, right? Learning about new things, whether it's new things, new people, new projects, new initiatives, um, I think if younger professionals can kind of embrace that sense of continuous learning, that they will be really successful in, in the workplace, in any workplace. It's just mm-hmm. um, that that never lose a sense of curiosity that's, that's critical for success. Are you a young professional or post-secondary student that can relate to my worries of being the most perfect version of myself at all times? I've been tempted to invent time travel to jump forward into the future and bypass the journey getting there. That's why I'm extra grateful Carrie highlighted for us today the importance of learning from failure. Getting back up when you fall down is more important than focusing on never falling down in the first place. The more we get back up, we'll build resilience, grit, And both are invaluable tools to have on the pathways to one's personal definition of success. Don't forget to draw inspiration and learn from the people around you, as Carrie reminds us too, and the power of collaboration. You can look to the Mayflower Autonomous Ship for exemplary teamwork. Also, I'll definitely be taking Carrie's sage advice with me into the hallways of law school.
We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts with us on our social media and visit longitude.site for the episode transcript. Join us next time for more unique insights on Longitude Soundbite.